Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Colonial Conversation. Uh, we're really glad that you joined us today, and I have with me a very special guest, probably one who needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him nevertheless. Uh, pastor Chuck Phelps is the head pastor of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. He is a good friend and a dear mentor to me, and I'm thankful to be serving under and with him here at Colonial. I've seen a lot of concern generally on social media, as well as in conversations with friends and family about the reach of the government during this crisis and how we as believers should be thinking about everything that's been happening, uh, specifically in regards to our freedom, our rights, and our responsibility before God. I thought it would be helpful to have Pastor Phelps on and address some of these questions from a biblical perspective, and so I asked him if he'd be willing to join us today, and he has very graciously agreed. Pastor, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Thank you, Ben. Glad to be here. As we get started, could you perhaps just lay out a brief biblical understanding of what the Bible has to say about government and what the Christian's relationship to government ought to be? Well, the Bible introduces human government to us as a creation of God in Genesis 9 and verse 6. As Noah disembarks from the ark, uh, God uh, says to Noah, now from here forward, if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So he initiates, inaugurates human government and gives to human government the authority of capital punishment. A government's primary responsibility then is the preservation, the protection of life. And when uh, someone abridges that, uh, someone is a murderer or someone is a threat uh, to the lives of others, government needs to step in. And uh, we see that reiterated in Romans 13, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes and tells us that every soul is to be subject to higher powers and reminds us they bear not the sword in vain. And so the ultimate authority for capital punishment, for a declaration of just warfare, uh, for the preservation and protection of life should be in the government. It's sanctioned by God. Government is sanctioned by God. And we're reminded, uh, Peter uh, reminds us, that we are to live with a responsible uh, submission uh, to authorities and we see that demonstrated in the lives of many biblical heroes uh, throughout the scriptures. So ultimately, uh, we look at government as a gift of God uh, for the preservation of life. We submit ourselves to it as a conscientious first to God and uh, then to the government, as we're reminded in Acts chapter 5, uh, when Peter says uh, we ought to obey God rather than man. And that's where the tension comes, Ben, uh, when we are wrestling with does this violate the responsibility that I have uh, to God? If I'm uh, obedient to the government, have I put myself contrary to the will of God and the directives that he gives? And that's where I think some people are wrestling right now. Yeah, and that's actually uh, leads into the next question I was planning on asking. Uh, I just have written here, the big question on a lot of people's mind is how do we think about submission to our government during this time specifically? Uh, as you mentioned, the Bible teaches we should always submit to our authority, except when they instruct us to violate God's word. Has the government crossed a line when they tell Christians not to meet? Is that a violation specifically of the command in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Well, if the government ever came along and said, you cannot meet, it would clearly be a violation of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Uh, we have a situation right now that is we trust temporary, and it's temporary for a higher purpose, and that purpose, interestingly enough, is the preservation of life, which is the responsibility of government. And so in this temporary quarantine, uh, there are tensions that grow, and the tension being, how long will this be? Is government abridging our rights? 
Uh, will we then have to obey God rather than man? Uh, but I think we need to uh, keep in mind that uh, from all indications, everyone intends this to be temporary. But there have been overstretches. There have been statements that uh, are very regrettable and actually unconstitutional and would cause any thinking Christian to say, time out, uh, you better rephrase that, rethink that, or reapproach that. For instance, uh, the mayor of New York City, Mayor de Blasio, uh, came across with a statement that anyone who disagreed his edict with regard to assembly uh, in a congregation could be subject to the permanent closure of their church or their synagogue. Uh, that would be a crass violation of what we believe the First Amendment of the Constitution stands for. We have the right to assemble, and I don't believe that the mayor of New York City would ever have the right uh, to close down a ministry. Should we be frightened by such statements? Absolutely. You know, there are four primary rights that uh, uh, people have fought and died for when it comes to this matter that we're considering right now. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to speak. We have the right to religion. We have the right to the freedom of the press. Uh, and so uh, along the way, these rights have been bought at great price. And when a government authority uh, begins to threaten that, all of God's people, all Americans, whether they're Christians or not, uh, should listen attentively and uh, be on the alert. And so there are a lot of things that I'm watching in the news. I'm sure you are as well. I think there's been some overstatement by many governors. Some are even concerned of some of the statements made by our governor here in Indiana. But uh, for instance, I think it was down in Mississippi. I heard about a situation where uh, people were instructed by their pastor that they could come and enjoy a drive-in church. And uh, there were... Uh, uh, statements being made by the government authorities. In fact, I think they took license plate numbers. They were willing to hand out fines. And uh, nevertheless, people came. But meanwhile, they were saying, that's not consistent because you're allowing drive-in restaurants to be open. What's the difference? And there really isn't any difference. And so that would be something where we would say, we oppose that. That's targeting religion unnecessarily. And uh, we need to be op in opposition to that. That may be a long answer to a simple question. But yeah, these are interesting times. So again, just to kind of summarize what you're saying there, it's not wrong for the government to say uh, in a situation like this, nobody's allowed to meet for any reason unless it's absolutely essential. But if they start opening up other things and then telling the churches, well, you can't meet, but you can meet over here. Uh, that's a situation where, again, to use a legal terminology, that seems to be targeting and they're they're making a distinction based on the fact that you're a Christian and that that is shading over into an area that would violate our Christian, uh, the First Amendment and our Christian rights. Yeah, I think it's good for us to be reminded right now that, you know, many of these battles, many of these questions were addressed by our founding fathers and some of the liberties that we presently enjoy that have been enshrined in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights were not always so. And so you remember that the Constitution was ratified in 1787, the Bill of Rights in 1791. And uh, that Bill of Rights begins with that First Amendment. The First Amendment gives us <clears throat> freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, and uh, freedom to, uh, to demonstrate or to declare our, our opposition, even to our civil authorities. Uh, that was not always the case. Uh, you can look at situations in Pennsylvania where William Penn uh, was persecuted uh, by the government because of a desire for religious assembly. You can look at John Leland in the state of Virginia. You can look at Obadiah Holmes 
in Massachusetts Bay Colony, or Roger Williams, who ultimately would become the founder of Rhode Island. And as you look at these champions, really, who uh, endured great affliction, uh, we thank the Lord for their willingness to do that because it purchased for us, as American citizens, rights that we hold dear. And all these rights, these liberties, can slip away if we're not vigilant in our watch, care, and concern. So uh, back to the point of this discussion, uh, when the government says it's best for the population to be quarantined or stay at home, shelter at home, practice social distancing, remember the government has responsibility for uh, the health and welfare, the lives of the citizenry. Uh, the religious leaders and the churches and those who want to assemble need to be very careful uh, because if in, in assembling and practicing that right, we're actually putting people at risk. I don't want to live with that on my conscience. And as I look in the pages of God's word, I'm reminded that it was God who first quarantined a part of the, the population. Uh, you'll remember that in the book of Leviticus, God spends a lot of time explaining to the Jewish people, uh, his people, the children of Jacob and the children of Abraham, hey, if you have a leper, that leper has to be quarantined. He cannot be part of the normal society. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't the leper have a responsibility in the Old Testament to be part of the three pilgrim feast? Isn't he supposed to go up at the Passover? Well, he is until he becomes a leper. And when he becomes a leper, he becomes a danger to the society. And it's interesting to me that the priests were the ones assigned to identify the leper when he was contagious and to identify the leper when he was healed. And the priest then had the authority to say, you can come, you can't come. But it was taken very seriously, this matter of allowing someone who would be carrying a contagion to come into the community and thus jeopardize the lives of those within the community. Um, again, where are we today? Yeah, we see some people, hear some people making statements, um, putting forward um, you know, commandments or, or laws that cause us to say, really, do you have to go that far? But on the other side, you know, I do think we have intact our Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and thankfully there are some who are protesting legally uh, by uh, saying, you know, I think the governor has overstretched, the mayor is overstretched, and so let's take this to the courts. And uh, our courts have been very favorable to religious liberty uh, for generations, and we trust that that will remain the case, but we don't trust without prayer, and we don't trust uh, without petition. So this kind of leads into actually another question that I was going to ask, and that is, how should Christians, generally speaking, react when the government asks them to do something that would violate their conscience? Can you speak to what their response should be, and then also what should our attitude be in such a situation? Yeah, I think that that, that phrase you use there, the violation of one's conscience, is very important. And it's very important in American jurisprudence. It's very important in God's word. So we know that in Acts chapter 5, I believe verse 24, uh, Peter says we ought to obey God rather than man. And the classic example of a person placed in that dreadful situation is Daniel, snatched from his home as a young man growing up in Jerusalem of royal lineage, taken to the Babylonian court, told that he was going to have to eat the food that Nebuchadnezzar provided, Knowing that that food did not pass the kosher laws, Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego appealed to their direct authority, the prince of the eunuchs, saying, hey, can we have a little bit of a test here? 
uh, feed us this rather than that. And God providentially uh, blessed. Along the way, I love that Daniel 1 says, Daniel was found in favor of the prince of the eunuchs. In favor. In other words, Daniel's attitude was right. Daniel's spirit was right. Daniel's protest was received uh, well. Now, will that always happen? No, but it's our obligation to protest wisely, to protest graciously, to protest firmly within our rights as Americans. But as Christians, we realize that in our protests, we may have the greatest opportunity to share the light of the gospel that we've ever had. Why would we mess that up uh, by forgetting that the Bible tells us uh, be angry and sin not, <laughs> let not the sun go down on your wrath. The, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. So be very careful. Uh, we, we walk a fine line. If we allow our anger to take over and we, uh, we make our remonstrance or our petition in a fleshly way, I think we do more harm than good. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness That's of God. That's right. That's what James tells us. It's interesting, too, as I've been studying and thinking through this, First Peter chapter, uh, I believe it's 2, deals with submission to government. And I'd never really noticed this before, but one of the reasons that Peter gives for that is that you may put to silence um, foolish men, and that actually our submission to government is something, and First Peter deals a lot with how we are received by the world and our testimony among them. And one of the ways that we can have a good testimony to a watching world is to have a submissive spirit to a government um, and that that actually silences uh, foolish people. Now, again, uh, the, the question I think a lot of people have during this situation and that we're, we're all wrestling through is at what point do we have to, to graciously resist and petition and um, obey, not disobey, but obey the higher authority, which is the Lord. And, um, but I, I think it's, so important, you know, what you're saying there, that our attitude, even when we do that, needs to be one of kindness and graciousness. So when we look critically at the tension point, the tension point is Hebrews 10.25 says, we have a responsibility as Christians to assemble together. Uh, that assembly is mandated by God's word. Uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Okay, so I have an obligation to assemble. God's word is clear. And yet I have an, a responsibility that the government gives to me not to assemble. <laughs> um, but the mitigating circumstance is the government right now is trying to point out that we're in, in the midst of a pandemic, that those who would be exposed to the coronavirus may not live. And I have to tell you, as a pastor, it'd be very difficult for me uh, to be practicing what I know to be the second commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself, while welcoming people into the church, uh, let's say we did that this Sunday morning, and some of the vulnerable people in our congregation are infected, and it was under my instruction that they gathered, and now we're having funerals for members who are dying because we plugged our ears to the wisdom of medical authorities or medical um, uh, practitioners who have told us this is a very virulent virus, this can kill you. And we plugged our ears to that counsel, and we said, well, our obligation to Hebrews 10 is more important than your counsel. Um, I, I honestly think that, you know, it, in, in some measure, we're almost like the tension point that was being faced in the, in the times of Christ, when uh, the, the question was asked of the Lord, should you heal on the, on the Sabbath? And, uh, you, you know, your, your disciples are doing this on the Sabbath. 
And the Lord responded, the Sabbath was created uh, for uh, man, not man for the Sabbath. And so some wisdom was placed to the practices that were expected by the Pharisees. And I think that the Lord today would say, use your wisdom. If you're going to be promoting a contagion, look at what would have happened had the lepers been allowed to fulfill their obligation to go into the assembly while not fulfilling their obligation to love their fellow men. <laughs> uh, so all these things coming together, I do believe that I'm at peace believing we're in a temporary quarantine when it's lifted. Do I uh, believe that our civil rights, especially the right of assembly and the right of freedom of speech and religion will be intact? Yes. Do I think that they may be uh, threatened right now? Yes. And as we know, it takes uh, constant vigilance to enjoy the liberties that uh, men and women have sacrificed so greatly to pass on to us in our generation. So this is another thing that I've kind of seen um, on the internet. What if what if the government has gotten it wrong? What if the medical professionals have gotten it wrong? What if we shut everything down and we get through this and we find out that actually the coronavirus wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be or that maybe the seriousness of it even now is being blown out of proportion? Well, um, I would say praise the Lord um, first because uh, when the first numbers were coming out, we were hearing maybe 2 million to 2.5 million Americans could die. And then, of course, it dropped to 250,000, then 140,000, and then down now that they're saying it may be um, about the same as the seasonal flu. Well, thank the Lord. Uh, he is the preserver of life. And haven't we been praying that he would turn away this plague? Yes, we've been praying to that end. So if the government got it wrong, that's not the first time the government's gotten it wrong. Uh, the government's gotten it wrong about a lot of things. Uh, and that's why we pray, even so come Lord Jesus. There's a day coming when a new government will be established, and it will be just, and it will be perfect. Uh, I understand that government will often get things wrong, even those for whom I voted. Uh, do I get agitated and concerned about it? Of course. What do I do about it? I pray, I petition, I vote. Um, so yeah, this this may be wrong, but in the end... Do I feel like I violated my religious convictions by saying, let's not meet until those who are watching over things medically and in the civil society in which we live tell us that it's safe? Uh, I'm comfortable with that. Um, I would be less comfortable saying, what do they know? Uh, I'm going to obey God, not man. <laughs> well, I don't have a microscope to look at the coronavirus, and I don't have the wisdom to know how it spreads, but I do have enough wisdom to say that God has given to us examples in the scriptures of having a gracious spirit, even when the government is telling us things that are difficult to hear. And uh, God has given to us examples in the scriptures of being med medically wise when it comes to uh, high-level contagions, such as leprosy. And right now, uh, I'm comfortable that if this was a mistake, and we look back and go, what has happened? Uh, I would hope to be able to say, I think people were well-intended and this is a terrible, dreadful thing that's happened to us. Uh, but I don't think we've violated our religious um, liberties. Um, and I don't think we've violated our conscience. Very good. Well, as we kind of wrap things up, um, I just wanted to give kind of a more open-ended question here at the end. Obviously, uh, when this whole situation began, things were uh, quite the whirlwind. I remember our last service was March 11th. And uh, that that Wednesday, they, they shut down basically all professional sports. 
Uh, and then they came out and said, okay, no groups more than 200. And we realized uh, end of day Thursday after we were uh, tentatively planning on going forward with church, okay, well, I guess we uh, we can't have services. And then we were trying to decide what to do about Wednesday. And uh, they quickly answered that when they said no groups more than 50. And then it was nothing more than 10 and non-essential. And everything happened so fast. Um, now that things have settled down a bit and we've had some time to process everything that has been happening, what potential dangers do you see for Christians through this time, either uh, specifically in regards to how we respond or react to the government or just kind of more general questions? What are some of the concerns you have for Christianity coming out the other side of this pandemic? Well, how long do you want the list to be? <laughs> so let, let's start first with, I think, what's most obvious. Um, we're very thankful as a church for the electronic means that God has given to us. Um, doing electronic church well uh, is a blessing, and it also could become a blight. Uh, there could be those who say, I kind of like this. Uh, church in my pajamas on Sunday morning, get my coffee and sit down, uh, but realize that that's artificial. We do have a responsibility, a duty that's given to us in Hebrews 10:25 to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, the electronic assembling that we have requires a real assembly. We have a real congregation of real people who really fulfill Hebrews 10:25, which allows us to enjoy electronic church for a time. But that's an artificial assembly. It's better than nothing. It's kind of like me seeing my grandkids every week on FaceTime. I'm glad for it, but it will never substitute real family time. And in this situation, it can never substitute the obligation, the duty that God has given to us as believers to assemble. I heard it said one time that if a, if a Martian came to earth and wanted to know about the God that we earthlings uh, worship, all he would have to do is wait for Sunday to come. I kind of like that. On Sundays, so many believers gather together that it cannot be ignored. It is always demonstrated. We're coming together to celebrate again the resurrection of the Savior. I fear, number one, that people could become so convenience-oriented in their, quote, spiritual disciplines, end quote, that they'd say, I prefer to stay home. Um, I don't think the Christian has that... Um, I don't think that's a choice that the Christian can make. Now, when a person is in a serious medical uh, challenge, when a person becomes vulnerable because of age uh, to coming out, when it's a risk to get in the car, obviously having an electronic uh, service available is great. But we do have an obligation to assemble. And as we assemble, we have a testimony in our community. We have the celebration of praise to our God. Uh, what else? Uh, well, I think there are other things I do think that we can be lulled into believing that we don't really need to worry about the decisions our government makes. I think that'd be very unwise. We need to, we have a responsibility first to pray and then to petition and then to vote, and run for office, to be involved. I think Colonial uh, has a good spirit about that. Uh, we have uh, those that we support to make a difference, whether it be in Washington, D.C. or here in Indiana. We encourage our people to be involved in the polls we have reports regularly. We coalesce about government things. And I would say, too, just to jump in on that, I feel like we have a good balance of being engaged without being obsessed. And I think that there can be that danger as well, that there are some Christians who, um, you know, 
politics almost looms larger right. than their Christianity. And I really appreciated that about Colonial, that we are very uh, engaged in the political scene and we do have regular updates. But if you come on a typical Sunday, that is not the focus of what we do together. We are a church. We're not a political action committee. And the church has a far higher calling than a political action committee. And we ought to be reminded that we have brothers and sisters in the faith who have gone through far more difficult times than us. And whether they gathered in the catacombs to be um, fulfilling God's obligation for them, or they're gathering today in China in house churches or in the Soviet Union in the woods uh, to assemble, uh, we need to be assembling people. We need to be concerned that we not be duped into, well, the government always has our best interest in mind. They'll never make a mistake. Uh, I'm sure there are other challenges that can be faced. And one of the challenges we haven't talked about much is, uh, are people really taking advantage of this time to assess our husbands and wives, assessing how healthy the relationship is, how healthy the relationship is with their children as parents? After all, we're spending more time with them uh, than we have in the past. It would be a shame to lose the opportunity that God has given to us to do some assessment, to spend time memorizing God's word, spend better time in prayer. And I, I trust we'll be growing through this time. And as you've heard me say this often, I think God has uniquely given us almost a once in a lifetime opportunity to reach out to our community by connecting people who right now have questions that only God's word through God's spirit can ever answer. And so I trust they're doing that. Very good. Well, thank you, Pastor, for uh, giving us your time and your perspective. And obviously, we all hope that uh, this situation is resolved as quickly as possible with as little loss of life as possible. And we look forward uh, as a church to when we can meet together. And we trust that if uh, you attend Colonial, you're looking forward to that as well. And if you're not attending our church, that you're looking forward to gathering with your church body as soon as this is all over. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.